0: Welcome to the Westside Personalized Podcast, where real educators share their classroom-tested, learner-approved personalization practices. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion and are able to find a few valuable takeaways from the podcast. And so without further ado, let's go to the pod. All right the Westside Personalized Podcast is back this week for week three of our uh, learner preferences series where I really wanted to take a few weeks here in the summer to just focus in on taking some common classroom practices like annotating, like note-taking, and like direct instruction and talk about the ways in which by differentiating those types of classroom pedagogy that you're then able to provide students with choice that ultimately leads to them Developing learner preferences that help them to be more effective and efficient and just maximize their learning in the classroom And so today we are going to look at like I said direct instruction and I'm very excited uh, for this conversation to welcome in Dustin Carlson. Dustin welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here Dustin, will be our uh, first three timer. I feel like between the two videos we've done before, so this is our third uh, time being able to host Dustin. Uh, you know, on the Westside personalized site, and so that's really exciting. Dustin had a chance to spend the last couple of days really putting up with me here. We're in the midst of a, a crazy summer stretch where we both got a, uh, an opportunity to go to ISTE uh, for a couple of days, and now we're we actually flew from Chicago to Dyna, uh, Minnesota where we're working with some of our sister schools from California and obviously from up here in Minnesota on personalized learning. And so Dustin, I'm gonna just kind of throw it to you first, I guess, with a question about ISTE. Um, what were some of your
1: takeaways, some of your, your highlights? Uh, I'd have to start with uh, how, when listening to one of the keynote speakers who was a neurologist, um, how students learn so differently than we did growing up. Um, as simple as looking at a text, students don't scan from left to right, top to bottom anymore. They scan top, side, and bottom, just like a website. So they're looking for different content and keywords that way instead of what we used to do to pick out highlights from text.
0: Wow, that's,
1: uh, that's pretty incredible, like a little factoid to take away from everything. Well, yeah, and they tell us that we mislabel that as ADHD nowadays because we just don't process things as quickly as students do. And I mean, I'm not, that's not the, the case for every student. Sure. However, I mean, it makes you step back and relook at things and go, okay, so I can see their, their mindset's different. And so we have to have a different mindset as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think just sort of, I guess to spin this towards our, our bigger focus with this entire podcast, right? That, that these learners are different, and unique, and in a way that we have to start to tailor what we're doing in class to account for that. Um, that's awesome. Any, any ed tech that you came across that was pretty cool before we delve into direct instruction? And oh man, I've,
1: I've got a list of about $1,000 worth of stuff that I need to purchase now. <laughs> from, it's easy to do when you go to SD. Oh, it is from robotics to um, very interactive apps that have concrete materials with them, whether they're plastic letters or um, puzzles that you put together so students aren't just uh, consuming from the screen, but they're also creating during that consumption.
0: Nice, and that is something that i walked away with too. I kind of appreciate the AR VR conversations uh, and some of the things that you can do in those spaces, but uh, the idea now that those... Areas are starting to shift from consumption to creation tools uh, It's just fantastic. And I really like the potential that those hold. And I'm looking forward to seeing how that might play out, uh, you know, in the future of education here and what's coming up. But uh, enough about ISTE. Let's get to the podcast and everything we're kind of uh, here to talk about today, I guess. And typically I interview, it feels like more, I guess, I'm, I'm asking the guests. You know, questions about the things they're doing in their classroom, where I hope to just have a discussion today. And uh, while I was at ISTE, got an opportunity to present on instructional video production. And so uh, I want to share a little bit on this podcast about that whole idea of okay, so so we have instruction in class, and everybody thinks that I have to absolutely have my time where I lead the class, you know, in that whole group uh, direct instruction piece. And in personalized setting, we'd say that definitely don't get rid of that. All right, We don't want to like promote that uh, everything just goes online and we go 100% flipped because you will have students, as I did, that said, hey, I actually prefer that indirect instruction. Can you, can you talk at me? Which floored me the first time that I had that question uh, asked of me. I was like, gosh, I did all this work to make videos and, and other resources uh, that I didn't even think that that was going to be something that you would ask for. So. That said, it still is good to allow learners who prefer video or other mediums, so let's say audio or, or written materials, uh, to kind of, you know, go through and read and take notes, uh, a chance when you can manage to create all these pieces uh, to find the avenue that fits them best. Um, would you say in your work, Dustin, with kindergartners that you would, how early do you think that sensibility about, like, can you see that? They may they maybe can't acknowledge those things right away, but do you sort of see learners uh, gravitating towards different things for kind of accessing new information?
1: Oh for sure and with kids having different experiences from home whether they've got an iPad tablet or that sort of thing a lot of those kids will instantly go for visual things like they love YouTube okay and anything on YouTube they're gonna sit there and watch and for those kids that don't have that experience it may take them I don't know a quarter or two before you really start to see them really get engrossed with the technology in our classroom Mm -hmm. and that can again span from anything from like YouTube to uh, some of the apps we use like Epic that has books that are read to students but also has video content sections or it even leads into the coding that we do too like you can really see uh, their own pathways develop throughout the year as they get exposed to more uh, technology items.
0: So learning preferences are there from the from the onset, from That's kindergarten, right. from five, uh, and probably even before that, honestly. And so, how you provide resources for them to access infor- this information is important. So you want to like, tailor it to their preference. And so, the process for that, I guess, because I just mentioned a moment ago, whether you want to, you know, how do we do direct instruction, video, audio and written materials without spending forever, like working on it, right? That sounds overwhelming. Um, And I would say you wanna start small, pick maybe the most important concept in a given unit or two. And something I promote as I'm talking about instructional video production is that you wanna write a script. And so uh, a video needs to be five minutes or less if you're gonna create instructional video materials. So that for me at least ends up being about four paragraphs or a page and a half worth of text and then you sort of prop that script up somewhere, you read through it on camera, and then once you've done that, then you can go through and edit and make your own instructional video. So that video is five minutes or less. It also gives you an audio that you can strip out and and just make that something that people could listen to like a podcast for five minutes or less. There's a fidelity between those two pieces, because they're the same thing for the most part. Uh, And they came from the script that you created, so I would strongly encourage you to just sort of gussy that script up with a couple pictures or some visuals that would allow um, learners to just be more engaged with that versus what it would probably look like, which would really just be notes. Uh, And so now you have your written, you have your audio, you have your video, and whatever it is that you would normally present in class, you were already going to make that anyway. Uh, And so it really becomes a pretty easy thing to start to differentiate as long as you try to be as efficient as you can with it. And I know as teachers, we always could use more time, um, but uh, (laughs) right? So how would you say, I guess, have you tried to create similar types of pieces? Because that was something, you know, I was intentional about with those four um, to reach learners through these different mediums, understanding that they do have preferences. I'm going to say it a million times in this podcast, but that's fine.
1: Well, it's totally understandable. And I'm going to back you too with having a script. Uh, If you want to save time in creating these things for your students, you definitely want to have a script because that's going to cut your editing time down big time. But with even my five and six-year-olds, anything visual, they're going to just soak up. Yeah, latch on to that. Yeah, and like Andrew will say a million times that if if it's someone in the video that the students are familiar with and see it all the time they're going to be more engaged in that video which then leads to you being able to make that video a little bit longer too because students are going to stay engaged with it. Mm -hmm. However for kindergarten even their parents a minute or less for any information you're giving to them is vital. Yeah uh, a
0: duration certainly drops with your K2 clientele. Oh totally. And so that's good that you have that kind of on your radar. So, what would you say is maybe kind of your go to tool for creating video pieces like this? And you know, my process, obviously, I, as I mentioned, was to put that script up there and record it. I just recorded on a regular camera. Quality of the camera doesn't matter, quality of the audio matters a ton. <laughs> yes, it does. So, make sure that you have good audio friends uh, as you're going through this. We're recording this podcast on a blue snowball microphone. I also promote, I would say, the Rode Lavalier. Um, smart. It's a Smart Lab Plus Lavalier mic. Sure, makes an omnidirectional lavalier mic that would be one that you could pick up. Also, all these options are somewhere between about 50 and 70 bucks. But if you're gonna make an investment and you're gonna put the time in, get one of those pieces because it's gonna help you a ton.
1: Yeah, and we even do that for the videos we create for like our parent newsletters. I grabbed a $70 mic off of Amazon, and that's probably the best thing I did because we record our videos in the classroom. And even though we have a separate little quiet space, you still pick up a lot of background noise. But mm-hmm. with, with that mic right there, you hear the student clearly, and it, it's much more effective.
0: Absolutely. So what do you use to record then, typically?
1: So we, the main app that we use is Apple Clips. I used to do a little bit of work with iMovie and the students, but that editing just took way too long for what it was worth. But with Apple Clips being so easy because you're literally taking clips of video and sticking them together, which then cuts down your editing uh, time as well, it works very slick and so for people who aren't familiar with apple clips 2 will say this is
0: an app that you can get on your iphone or you can get your ipad it, it has been education for a time so there will be people that will say oh yeah i know about this but if you don't what are some of the best features of this that makes it again you said a little bit easier than imovie to edit but what else do you sort of prefer about it
1: well it's so user friendly i mean my students use it too all you have to do to record is aim and push the little button to record But like some of the the best features are it has uh, live titles. And so as I'm talking to my iPad, it is typing below exactly what I'm saying. So for students that love the visual on the screen, you get the words right there or if it's a newsletter you're sending out to parents and they don't want to listen to it again with their child in the background because they'll get interrupted, well, they can just turn the volume off and just read the text as it goes across the bottom.
0: Yeah, kind um, of that closed captioning feel to it, really,
1: right? It totally it does. Well,
0: and I would say, too, even for K2, to be able to have those words on the screen as we're trying to learn, you know, how, like to identify words and and to be able to have that supplement that you person that they're seeing on the screen, you know, talking, but to kind of have your eye go back and forth between that and the text on the screen has got to be beneficial. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. When you're creating instructional videos, you can do something as short as doing a sight word video. And you don't have to go in and type the text Then you. Just speak it and it magically shows up on the screen and you're good to go. Oh, man. That sounds nice. That'd yeah. That'd be easy. So then,
0: You know, in a secondary context, we're going to load these things onto programs like Schoology or we're going to share them out, you know, through Google Classroom, whatever it is, and students get access to those jump onto YouTube, watch the videos. And the other thing I would say to and advocate for this in, in my video production session is go knowing how you want to leverage these, right? Flipped means we're watching it exclusively at home. Blended means we're going to have the opportunity to learn during class time from these videos or at home. Uh, is this going to be a required video that you're creating versus something that is more a la carte as needed or, or a supplemental piece that you could reference? If what you learn in class isn't enough for you or you need to double back on something as you're doing your homework, but differentiating instruction, then, I guess to make a point with this, allows flexibility and allows students to have more control and ownership of pace and, again, what do I need? What do, do I need to see this three times? Uh, do I need to see this four times? Do I need just the definition again? And I, I think that that's a, a nice piece to have. How do you leverage then? Because I imagine you kick it through Seesaw? Yeah. That'd be my guess. Okay, and so then give me some application, right? Like, so kindergartners can utilize video to learn... In what type of activities, I
1: guess? Or well, and since we do use Seesaw, the students are very familiar with that app, and so they're easily able to navigate to find. Like, if we're doing a problem of the day, which we do in the morning, right when students come in, it takes me maybe five to ten minutes to put the video together, tell students what they need to do, whether it's an activity on Seesaw that they're doing or uh, written paper too, like a quick uh, number story where they're, you know, Johnny goes to the store and buys six apples and Sarah goes and buys four, how many do they have all together? Well, they can watch the video, it's right there on Seesaw, they can listen to the directions, they can see the example, if they need to listen to it again, which frequently happens because, you know, there's a little noise in the background and they lost track of what the to be doing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so they just push play again and they go off and work but they also have the option of having other students in the classroom that have watched the video so they can rely on friends as well so that I'm either there to help them or I can be taking lunch count or something random mm-hmm. like that in the morning as well. So that's the easiest way. Out through Seesaw, they can watch as much as they want. We can also use those type of instructional videos during our literacy stations when students are expected to be a little bit more independent. Yeah, uh, They can go find out what their task is and they don't have to worry about a text-heavy task especially at the beginning of the year when they're just learning how to be great readers and writers.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think the fear sometimes for educators is, well, if I'm not lecturing, and again, I'm not saying that, I would recommend you provide the opportunity to attend a lecture or watch the video. But if it feels like by making this content that nobody is going to seek you out, you know, then that, if that's a concern for you, I would say video only is going to give knowledge and comprehension level like information for the most part. And what I've found in my own practices, at least, is then that frees you up to have the time to have deeper, richer conversations about the content uh, with students because you're not tied to answering the same questions 10 times. And we've all experienced that as educators, right? Gosh, if I have to, (laughs) I said this during my lecture, I've answered that question 15 times If there's a video there, they can just go back to it. And now you're able to hold a three-minute conversation here and a four-minute conversation there, and you're not putting fires out constantly. And so I think by making these things available, um, there's a learner responsibility, a level that's added. The level of learner preferences, right, uh, of all these different ways in which you can choose to interact with this this information. And then that pace piece, Yeah, how, how consistently, frequently, fast, slow do I need um, to, to go about revisiting this stuff? Is that true in kindergarten as well as far as with those videos? Does that free you up in ways to... How does that play out? Because I'm well, sort of talking from a secondary teacher's
1: perspective and context. So when you're looking at it's just me in the classroom with 23 five and six year olds, you find any way you can to, <laughs> to uh, I control I the, the herd. Yeah, yeah. I and so you have not imagine, moment. but yeah, there is literally no downtime in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. So if you can find ways to get your students to be a little bit independent, it, it's amazing how far that will go. Because once they even watch a video or do something quick activity on the iPad, they very quickly pick up the collaboration piece with that and will go and talk to other students about what they were just doing. Whether it's because they're choosing just to be social Mm -hmm. or it's, hey, can you help explain this to me because I'm not sure what it means. But they're more more likely to go to a student then to talk about it than me. And so then I can intervene with students that I know will struggle and I can work with them one-on-one while the other students are truly being independent and completing uh, the same task or a similar task. But uh, having it on Seesaw too, Seesaw has built-in features like their activity sections that I can differentiate the activities. Mm -hmm. And so you are hitting learners at at different levels with the similar type of, of instruction.
0: Right. And so from the personalized lens with all this as well, I love that we're hitting upon our elements of like technology integration um, we're, we're talking a little bit here about obviously choice that leads to voice uh, in the way in which they you know, are choosing what to access and when. And the degree to which you make a, like a pre-survey almost is what I would say about like, hey, how would you prefer to engage in new content to access new information? And then I like what you're saying there too. And then, how do you go about starting to process that, right? Is that something where it's better for you to talk to the teacher, to talk to a peer, to talk to no one and just sort of give yourself some alone time for to like sure. present and process, right? I, I joked with Sarah Shainrock a few weeks ago that she's like, she goes, I don't really like think, pair, share. She's like, I kind of like to just think. And then keep thinking. (laughs) Yeah. And so some people, that is certainly your preference. So we can hit that data piece too, if you're intentional on the front end of those choices by saying, "Hey, identify these things about yourself, so that you can tailor those choices to who you are, and not just at the whim of the moment." Do you think kindergartners could navigate something like that?
1: Oh, totally. I mean, again, back to that video. They have the choice of the video, but if it's a paper activity and the video is just giving them the quick how-to or Quick little instructional piece of what we're doing, most of those sheets also have the directions on it. So Mm -hmm. if they don't prefer video at all, they can go grab that paper, read the directions, and go do their task. And for students that like to work on their own, they typically will then uh, take advantage of our flexible classroom where they'll be like, I know back here no one else works, this is my quiet space, Mm -hmm. I can go back there and work by myself and not be bothered.
0: So this influences the space element as well. Totally right? does. Uh,
1: and I, t- I agree. If you think about like flexible
0: stations, I often promote that. Why don't you have instead of, yeah, have the hand out there. This is the same same thing you're talking about, but just at the secondary level. A- and a laptop or an iPad or whatever that has the video queued up so that you could choose which you know medium through which you want to um, even find out. Maybe it's not direct instructions so or deviating from things a little bit, but just how you can leverage video in the classroom in order to relay that information as people are getting started with tasks specific to that station. So, yeah, instruction can look like a lot of different things. I'm running through my mind. Do you have any other examples that we've not shared? Because I have one. I have one more that I can queue up while you're thinking about this. Go for it. We did a podcast on this not too long ago, but with revision in particular, where if you have 12 different skills uh, that you would, as a whole group, just walk... Revision step number one, and everybody learns about this, even if 50% of the class doesn't need it. Uh, and you go revision step number two, and you just and it's drilling all the way down the line. If you made 12 videos, if you differentiate that instruction, and, or even have a written, you know, handout that sort of could walk you through that, I've seen that be very effective in an English class. Until as you go through then and read through Johnny's paragraph at the top, you just put a one, a four, a seven, and a 12. And Johnny knows whenever he gets his paper back, instead of with all this feedback that would just take forever to, to write on there. That he needs to access those four revision materials and then could have that entire revision process tailored to the things that he needs most uh, and focus on those one at a time instead of sometimes we do revision checklists which are great but they're overwhelming because there's 15 things on there uh, for you to look at and again it's not tailored to you as an individual so it kind of get lost and all that so there's just one more application which is what this
1: podcast is about how do we take this theory and put it into practice Dustin, do you got one to close us out? Well, I was just thinking one more thing, you know that that we teachers create content, but so do the students. Yep. We have a writing unit that's how-to writing, and they have to do that throughout elementary. And so we like to go ahead and throw it out to student choice right away in kindergarten, and say, hey, uh, you know, some of you really like to write. Um, Some of you really like to draw. Well, some of you may also like to create little videos that tell us how to do things. Mm -hmm. And so they still do the expectation of uh, the how-to, but students will then take things like either they'll do it right through Seesaw recording or they can do it on clips too where they show us the steps on how to make something. And in fact, I had a student do it through Scratch Jr. They coded a how to drive a car Whoa. in kindergarten and then we shared that out on Seesaw so that it wasn't just stuck on his, his device.
0: That's pretty incredible. And I like the idea also of, of having students create instructional materials for class. And we got a chance to do it with Becca Cracky and Julie Schmitz with their sixth grade class this year. There was a second grade student of uh, Allie Pontius's that, yeah, sat down and we put together an entire script for uh, descriptive writing. Uh, and she even wrote the little skit that, that kick-started that video, and that, that is a good process to, to ask students to put those types of pieces together, and make those available. Because back to your earlier point, screencasts are great, do that, if nothing else, make that option available. But if there's a person in there, engagement goes up. If it's a person they know, engagement goes up even more. And if it's a peer
1: that's like the that's the ultimate that's where you want to get to they would much rather listen to their peers yes (laughs) on a video
0: so um well thanks for taking a little bit of time here today to just really promote this idea of let's differentiate direct instruction you know let's find ways to make that uh something that the learner gets an opportunity to yeah understand that they do have preferences own those preferences and whether it's that annotating to kind of put a bow on this three-week stretch (laughs) that annotating note-taking um, just teach them how to be able to optimize their learning experience through seizing these choices that they've been given in a way that makes learning just fun. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's it. it makes it's it done. engaging, fun. fun, and fun. <laughs> uh, so thanks for your time. I really appreciate you being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. And um, I'll be sure to check in again, I'm sure, sometime soon as we're applying all of our great stuff that we got from Misty over the course of this. That's September. right. Yeah. Cool. See ya. Well, that's a wrap on another great episode. For more information or to contact us directly, you can email our team at personalizedlearningwestside at westside66.net. As always, thanks for tuning in and learning from the Westside Personalized Podcast.